on. Good morning, church. Um, morning, Nikki. My name is Nikki. <laughs> it's awesome to be with you guys. I'm on team here at God First, and um, we are currently in the middle of a series on relationships, about family relationships. And you know, today, before we get into our scripture, I thought I, you know, I just want to share a little bit about you and about me and where we fit in the context of today before we dive into what God is going to say to us. So you and I were both part of a family that we were born into or adopted into, and you and I are both part of a bigger family of God who sit here today or are online together. And you know, God created family, and he designed it, and it was perfect, and it was beautiful, and then sin entered the world, and you know, things just became a bit dysfunctional. And you often hear that word and family in the same sentence, you know, yeah, shucks, that that shame, she, a friend of mine, she comes from a really dysfunctional family. You know, it's not operating as God would have it. It's not perfect like God designed it. And you know that goes for all of us. None of our families are perfect. You may know that you come from a dysfunctional family, or you may think that you come from a really good family. But most of us are somewhere in between. And the end result is that we all sit here today with some common ground to one degree or another. And Proverbs, we're going to preach out of Proverbs today. Proverbs is an amazing book in the Bible. It brings such good news to us, such good news to the dysfunctional. It brings clarity to our chaos, and it brings a voice of healthy reasoning to the dysfunctional areas in our lives that we all have. So when I say we're going to talk about wives and about women today, you know, if you're sitting here, if you're single, if you're widowed, if you're a husband, if you're a man, and you kind of think, maybe this is not for me, Actually, this message applies to everybody. If you're single, married, divorced, the awesome thing about God's family is that you have a role to play. Through church, we get to experience family. You know, an example is if you're single, the church provides support, leadership, friendship, things a husband provides, and there's just so many different ways we can relate to our scripture today. And although we're looking at wives and at women Listen to this, Proverbs 31 that we're going to read today was written to a man. It's a godly mother's wisdom to her son who's one day going to be king. And she's telling her son, hey, this is what you've got to seek for in a woman. This is what God looks for. God hasn't left us hanging, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to live our lives. As a woman and as a wife, it's found in Proverbs 31 and it is not found in our culture. John Piper, he describes Proverbs 31 as someone stringing pearls together to make a pearl necklace. You know, it's not, a lot of scripture can be like building a case, you know, and then it kind of lands into a truth. This is not that. This is something of great beauty. But you know what it is? It's like a vision. It's kind of like a gold standard. It is something of great beauty. And, and when we read it, I don't want you to feel like maybe it's far away from you. Maybe you disconnected from it. Or maybe, maybe you feel condemned. I don't want it to be that at all. You know, it needs to be seen as a vision to inspire you. It, it needs to be a picture of the dignity of your calling, of the beautiful range of what you are free to pursue. You see, right in the first line of this passage of Scripture, it says, a wife of noble character, who can find... He's saying it's rare, it's exceptional, it's a big deal. It's about pursuit. It's about the willing heart behind the hand that strings the pearls onto the necklace. It's a process of selecting the pearls. And you know, a natural pearl 
can take up to seven years to develop, and you only find one in like 10,000 wild pearl oysters. And the substance that a pearl is made out of is lighter but stronger than concrete. How cool is that picture? The end product, strung on your neck, and it's beautiful. But you know those pearls? They took polishing, shining, friction, time, and commitment to get there. And in that whole process, it's really about God's grace towards us as we pursue these things in his strength and not our strength and in his power and not in our power. So ladies, I just want you to like take a weight off as Chantal comes up to read the passage of scripture for us today. And men, I, I just want to say, you know, maybe this is just a time where you can really listen to the ways you can encourage the woman in your life. It's a picture of the design God made, the incredible expressions of womanhood that he designed. And you are there to protect and encourage the growth of these things as an expression of the love you have for your wife and the woman in your life. For men, I want to ask you with ears to cultivate. Listen with ears to cultivate. You know, cultivate means to prepare for the raising of crops, to protect and encourage the growth of what we're going to talk about today. So over to you, Chantal. We're reading Proverbs 31, verses 10 to 30. Okay. A wife of noble character, who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of the earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable, and a lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor, and she extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches after, over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed and her husband also. And he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Thanks, Chantal. You know, something I found so interesting is that the commentators on this passage have concluded that Lemuel the king, who this lady is talking to, is actually King Solomon. And you know, King Solomon's mother was Bathsheba. And Bathsheba was known to be a very beautiful, very stunning lady in the culture of her time. She was also the reason that King David stumbled. He committed adultery with her. She was famous for her beauty, and here she is saying, charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting. A woman who fears the Lord 
is to be praised. And I think, oh my word, what an amazing example to us of the work of grace done in her life over time. Not one physical attribute is mentioned in Proverbs 31. To have the experience and the knowledge that she had, I think it gives the scripture such weight and authenticity. You know, you think of where she was and where she got to. It takes time. God had been at work, and it's got to be seen as an encouragement to us at what God's grace can do in our lives. She was part of the worldly culture of the day. She made some bad choices. And then in the end, God made her a model in the very area that she stumbled and think of what God can do when you submit your ways to him, to doing it his way. It is never, ever too late to turn to him. He can turn anything around, any relationship, any marriage, any hard heart. So I just want to look quickly at a a couple of the characteristics that really stand out for us in Proverbs 31. The first is her confidence. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She laughs at days to come. She is not talking about Freddie Jeans or Gucci ladies. This lady dresses herself, and it is clear that she is not waiting for a man to do this. Too many of us are waiting on a man to feel good, to feel accepted, and it's unhealthy because humans trip up. We have weaknesses and bad days, and loving well is a lifelong learn. God never has a bad day. His love will never disappoint us. See, God is her source and not a man. She laughs at the time to come because she keeps going back to her source. She knows God is strong. He that is within me. And out of that knowledge, she can be strong for others, even when her relationships are under pressure. She knows her future. She knows it's handled. She knows it's already been taken care of. And it's that strength and that dignity that is the true source of her beauty. You know, there's some people in my life, godly women, who I've come to know over the years, and, you know, maybe when I first met them, I thought they were kind of plain. But as I got to know them, the beauty started to shine through, and you know that's through the hard times and the good times, the ugly bits and the good bits. As they wrestled through stuff, they had a heart after God, and that is what makes them beautiful. And the opposite can be true, too. You know, I've had women in my life, I meet them, I think they're stunning, wow, this girl's so pretty. The more I get to know them and the more I see people who are too in love with this world and what it has to offer, that beauty is shallow and it's skin deep and at the time it can show. And I've often thought, you know, the times where Chris has told me that I'm beautiful, often are physically when I'm really not feeling it. It's like maybe it's early in the morning, we've had a cup of coffee, we've had a really good chat. They'll say, you're so beautiful. And I think, man, it's like kind of the last thing I thought he would have said right now, you know, I'm not PJs, I've got no makeup on. And there are times when I put a huge amount of effort into what I look like. Maybe we're going out to a party, and, and he'll say, you look stunning, love. You know, I really love that dress. And, and he only means it, but, but it lacks depth. You see the comments with depth? <laughs> <laughs> the comments with depth come when I'm involved in, in, in chasing after Proverbs 31 stuff. Maybe I've got a good attitude or extending myself or supporting him when it's not easy, blessing my kids. And I often don't get it right. But I recognize that when I do get it right, those are the moments that build our marriage. Those are the moments of true beauty. And Chris does a good job in cultivating that. (laughs) The Proverbs 31 woman is secure. She sets about her tasks vigorously. Her arms are strong for her work. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She trusts in her Father in heaven, and she relies on that trust. And that gives her great freedom. You see, she's given God authority over her life. And you know, one of the fruits of that is security. The ability to have strong arms for your tasks and not weak arms that are not up 
with a job. She has value. Verse 18, she sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. This lady works. She's at home, but she's also out in the market, and that looks different for everybody. She's part of the community in one way or another. She's not sitting at home doing nothing all day. She has the confidence to step into having a trading table, and it comes out of an identity, an identity in Christ. You see, she steps out. She's confident in him. She knows she has a purpose. She knows she has value because of the lengths that Jesus went to for her. It has great value, and that extends into what she does. She's faithful. Verse 12, she brings her husband good, not harm, all the days of her life. And I really believe that this can be an area of huge confusion. See, the world positions us for destruction in this area. And I just want to take a moment to say, you mean so much to God. You need to stop and listen to what he's saying to you cares for you, and he can help you work through some of the lies that the devil and the world tell you about loyalty, about commitment, and about sacrifice. Now, I remember being at a function once without Chris, and, and there was like a weird vibe there, you know. It was a very worldly vibe, and, and I remember in and being kind of in and amongst a bit of unhealthy socializing, and yeah, there was music, and on the surface it looked all quite cool and quite fun. I remember just asking God in that moment, I said, God, show me what you see. And it was ugly dark, scary, sad. I will tell you, there's nothing fun and nothing cool about it. Ask God if you're venturing into situations or thoughts that are unhealthy. Ask him to show you his truth. Ask him to show you what he sees. Let him remind you of your worth, of the tricks that the world plays. And as you walk through that stuff, just stay in the shadow of his wings because it's going to come. And as God shows you it's going to change how you see things. It's going to change your heart. It's going to change your heart for the better. And then you can trust him to do something beautiful in your marriage as you are walking in the obedience to asking him for his eyes and not yours. She's Christ-centered. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And I think this is the most important and most telling verse in this whole piece of scripture. Fear of the Lord is it's submitting to his ways because you trust him and there's two words that often get mixed up and mixed messages portrayed about them, and that is submission and authority. I want to talk a little bit about that quickly. I want to start with a premise that says, if you've given your life to God and you've submitted your ways to him, his ways are the ways you follow. You know he knows better. And you've accepted that he sees what you don't see. And God is calling us to be a part of his future kingdom. He's offering us a life that never ends and the privilege of being part of his family, and that is a beautiful filter that we use against how we live. So when you look back at Proverbs 31, there's like a lot of doing words in there. It's quite exhausting to look at. There's seeks, works, brings, bars, plants, reaches, and life is busy, and it is full, and we need a filter to know why and what we should do. What should I do, and why should I do it, Lord? This is in front of me. What do I need to take on, Lord? What do I need to take it on? And everything we do should support this bigger mission, this bigger purpose. You see, it also gives us reason to do what we do, especially in some of those small things. See, without the ability to place what I do under something bigger, it lacks meaning, it creates distraction, it gives us a lack of direction, and it causes us to drift. We need to trust that filter. And I just want to ask you now, do you trust your filter do you trust that God died on the cross for you, sent his son to die on the cross for you, that you may have eternal life and be part of his family? Maybe you've been trusting a bit too much 
in the ways of the world. And if you haven't ever put your trust in Jesus and you're sitting here thinking, man, that, I want to do that, I want to I, I have a life that I'm submitted to his authority that I can just rest in and know that I'm taken care of by someone who loves me and someone who gives me a counselor to lead and to guide me, you can do that right now. And say to him, Lord, I want to put my trust in you. I'm sorry for the way I've been doing it. I don't want to do it like that anymore. I want to put my trust in you. I want to ask afterwards if you wouldn't mind just coming down. I want to pray with you. There'll be ladies here to pray afterwards for you. See, once that trust is established with God, do you know what? It becomes so freeing. Why does it become freeing? Well, if I've decided in advance that it's God's word, it's his pattern that I'm going to trust Think of Jeremiah 21, for I know the plans I have for you, plans for hope and a future, plans for you to prosper. Then bringing good to my husband and my children and the people around me is what I'm going to do because God's way is perfect. He loves me more than anyone else could, and so I trust him. Why? Because he is the source of my joy, not what I do. He is the source of my joy. I sit and I'll evaluate all I could and all I want to do under the higher mission to which I've already submitted myself. And he knows he decides, he directs my path, and I rest in that. That's weight off my shoulders, that's peace, not worry, that's stability, not anxiety. There's an amazing passage of scripture in Matthew, it talks about a centurion, a guy who worked in the army, so he really knew what authority looked like, and he went to Jesus and he said, Lord, my servant is paralyzed and he's dying and he's suffering, and, I, and Jesus looked at him and he said, I'm going to come, I'm going to come with you, I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to heal him. And what was his response? He didn't say, okay, let's go to my house. He said, no, you don't have to come. He said, Jesus, I trust your authority. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. How freeing is that? In chapter 8, verse 9, he says, in Matthew, he says, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes and come and he comes and do and he does. And Jesus was so happy. He said, I tell you, no one in Israel has faith like this. And the servant was healed in that very moment. See, the thing about an army situation is that they know they have complete authority over those under them because they know that they themselves are under complete authority of another. And here, just an example in a family relationship. You know, as a mom, I have authority to raise my kids in the ways of God. I have authority over them as given to me by God. So obedience and teaching them right from wrong, I've got to help them with that because I'm under authority myself. I'm accountable to God for how I parent my kids. I've been delegated to teach them, and I can pass this stuff onto my kids with the weight of authority. verse in the Bible says, train your child up in the way they should go. They will not depart from it. And we can say, I can say to my kids, Han, and say, I'd like you to do this because I said so. Because if I have to explain to them all the time why I'm asking them to do something, you know, they're just agreeing with me. No, I'm the parent. Let us be motivated by the authority that comes from heaven, And for this, I can say, God has delegated authority to me. And you know what? That is so freeing because it enables me to empathize with my kids. I can say, man, I'm so sorry. I know this is tough. But it's part of teaching you right from wrong. And I'm accountable to God for how I raise you. I know it's hard. You see how this is raising kids in an environment of love. They need to know that they are loved, that they belong, and that they are part of a bigger family, God's family. And the same with you and your Father in heaven. He is the highest authority in your life. And sometimes we have to obey because we just know that he knows better. And we can't always have all our questions answered. Nothing we do should fall outside of God's authority 
in our lives. And you know, when kids step out of a loving parental relationship, bad things happen, you know? And being bound by that, it can sound restrictive, but do you see how it actually is just so freeing? I'm not accountable to me. I don't need to float around not knowing what to do or carry the weight of being responsible for everything that happens. I'm accountable to God. He knows what's best for me. He gave me a counselor to help me and to guide me and to direct my steps. He carries that weight, not me. Proverbs 31 teaches us that you need something beyond you. If you want to be a good wife, a good woman, a good man, a good husband, a good friend, a good sister, a good brother, we first need to understand how God relates to us, how he talks about the bridegroom to the church. And it starts with acceptance. See, Jesus was loved by his father. He experienced pain on the cross so that we could become a part of his family in complete acceptance by God. And the Holy Spirit teaches us and guides us, and God disciplines those he loves, but he is always drawing us back to him, always. And cultivating a good marriage, cultivating good relationships, it means starting with my own identity, looking at my identity first. God went to such measures for me. I want him to be the one that reigns over my life. Who else can I trust as much as him when I look at what he did for me? And we need to treat our loved ones, our husbands, our children as Christ speaks and treats to us, treated us. And you know, the truth is like, that's not easy. That is hard stuff. And we weren't meant to do it alone. We need to engage in our church family to do this. But you know, the power, ultimately, the power rests with God. Jesus called Peter the rock way before Peter became the rock. But you know what? Peter believed Jesus and he took little steps towards that. And Jesus carried him the whole way until he actually became the rock of the church. And on this rock, I will build my church. After massive failure, look at what God did in Peter's life. Same for Bathsheba. I remember years ago when Stephen first asked me to preach, I'd never, ever done a preach before, and I wanted to do a good job. I said yes, and I worked like so hard in preparation, so hard, that a month or two kind of before, I was burning the candle at both ends. Um, Yeah, I think I became a little bit grumpy at home. And, uh, you know, part of that was right. Being new at something requires more work. But I remember even sometimes just struggling to sleep. I'd get up at three, I'd do more reading, I'd change this, I'd change that. I knew it was something that was going to deepen my faith. And so I felt like I was being obedient to some of the gifts God had put in me. But it was too much. It was too much self-reliance. And I remember Crystal one night just saying to me, you know, honey, I mean, I think, I think you've done enough work. Just remember, you're not Tim Keller, and and you don't have to be on your first preach, you know? God is not looking for perfection. He is looking for an obedient heart. Do the work. Have an honest heart. That's all God is asking of you. And I was just like, I know, I I get that, but I want to do this topic justice, you know? And there was a lot of I in my response to Chris. I've worked hard. I want to do well. I need some good illustrations. And, you know, the preach went fine. It was okay. And I worked really hard on it, and, and um, you know, I was exhausted afterwards, and, uh, and I had so much to learn. And I fast forward sort of five or six years, and I remember Stephen approaching me and saying, hey, would you like to preach a bit more kind of regularly? And, and I thought, oof, I, I, you know, I'd love that, but Lord, if I step into this, it's got to be done with integrity and honesty and a good work ethic and in the right order in my life, and I'm not sure I'm capable of that. And I remember saying to Chris, you know, hey, babe, I'm sort of kind of considering this, and he was like... Oh, that's great, honey. I mean, I think we should talk about it, though, because I don't, I don't really want to have to get takeaway for the next four years because you're preparing a preach. <laughs> I thought, God, I know this is of you. I know this is in line with some of the stuff you put in me. 
And I know it's stepping into some of these doing words we find in Proverbs 31. And so I'm taking a step of faith and commitment and obedience to you. My commitment is that I won't let it have the same negative impact on my family. That's not God-honoring. That's not part of what this means. I'm going to take a decent amount of time to prepare well every time I'm preaching, but I cannot burn the candle at both ends. And I know that's not your heart for this either. I'm trusting that. You know what I'm trusting? I'm trusting you to bring your grace and meet me there at my yes. Keep polishing that pearl. I know you're not asking for perfection. You're just asking for an obedient heart. And so I took one small step into something I knew God was calling me into, and he met me with grace, and the journey has been freeing. I submit to his authority. I spend more time praying, God, direct my thinking, direct my reading, direct your word into people's hearts, not mine, yours. Only you have the power to do that. I'm saying yes, I'm working within my small human capacity. I've got two fish and five loaves. That's all I've got. It's not a lot, but I know you can multiply. You give fresh perspective. You take the pen that writes the paper. You have your way because your word is powerful and effective and alive, and I believe that. And I can't let it consume me because I want to pursue being a Proverbs 31 woman. I want to be a good wife and a good mom and a good friend and a good daughter and all those things, and I'm going to fail along the way. But God, you're going to help me get it right over time because I realize this is a journey of growth and it is not instant transformation. And it hasn't taken over, and I've been much more responsible with how I handle what's in front of me because of her deep reliance on him, of his ways, on his power, on his grace, on his promise that says, I'm faithful to complete the good work I've started in you. Do the work, guys, but rely deeply and heavily and mainly on him through it all and not in your own strength. See, when we put other stuff first, it's not the right order, you know, and things can become a little bit disbanded. Like, you know, if your kids are first before God in your life, you can be working so hard with your kids, and that's great, but soon they are going to feel like the people about town, and they're going to become the center of the universe, and soon they're going to imagine that everyone around them exists for their pleasure, and I want to tell you that's a recipe for a long, hard road. God fulfills desires in the hearts of those that fear him and put him first, and this is a message of hope. Hope in God and trust to Trust him and wait on him as we pursue godliness. And all these things we read about in Proverbs 31. Now, I find it so interesting that the scripture is coming from a wife of a king who actually is quite entitled to a life of leisure. And yet, yeah, she is. She's able to see this bigger picture. My life is valuable. It is precious. I've got much to offer. Too many ads on Facebook pulling us away from fearing him. Christ is caring, he's nurturing, he adopts us. He paid the highest price for you. And if he paid the highest price for you, he's probably the one you can trust the most to know it's good for you. He's commissioned us to live a life of real biblical womanhood and manhood. He hasn't left us hanging. And you, you are called to greatness. And we've got to be careful that we don't make too little of that but we also don't want to make too much of that, right? And that's a journey in itself. It is not instant transformation. As we contemplate just the journeys we all on individually, let's just bow our heads for a moment and close our eyes. Maybe as, as a woman, maybe you've taken a few wrong turns and you need to take a different turn. You want to go towards God and believing in him again and his ways. You haven't believed in his plans for you. 
feel forgotten. You've let areas in your marriage slip, areas in your relationships slip. Ask God right now to show you what they are. Let him show you his truth. Maybe you've had your hands on the steering wheel too much, and, and today you just want to resubmit to the authority of God's ways in your life, the freeing authority that he has in your marriage and in your relationships. As a man, ask yourself, how well have you been cultivating? Maybe you haven't been protecting this in your wife and the, in the woman in your life. Maybe you're sitting here and you want to get married and, and you just realize maybe you've been looking, maybe you've been satisf- satisfied on some of the wrong things as you seek a wife. Father, we all find ourselves on different journeys, Lord. I want to ask that you meet us where we are. You're faithful to do that. Show us your truth. Open our eyes to some of the deception and the lies that have been told to us in our relationships, Lord, and what we are pursuing. God, won't you give us the eyes to see what you see in our relationships? Give us the heart to pursue what you have for us, Lord. Let us just be reminded that this this passage in Proverbs 31, it's a passage of hope. It's a passage of the dignity of our calling, Lord, and we are free to pursue those things, and your grace meets us where we are. And the gospel does the hard work. Lord, you're looking for our yes. You are mighty, Lord, to turn any relationship, any marriage, any hard heart around, Lord. And this morning, we want to choose you. We want to trust you for those things, Lord. We pray all of this in your name.